Um, hi, everyone. Thanks so much for coming. Um, I'm Kia Collier. I'm the Energy and Environment Reporter at the Texas Tribune. Uh, uh, on behalf of the Texas Tribune, I'm thrilled to welcome you to the 7th Annual Texas Tribune Festival uh, and to our panel, Don't Forget About Water, uh, with Beck Bruin, Chairman of the Texas Water Development Board, uh, State Rep Jason Isaac, uh, Texas Nature Conservancy Chief Laura Huffman, and Andy Sansom, who heads up the Meadows Center at Texas State University. Uh, our chat this morning will last about 45 minutes, or this afternoon, sorry, it was from this morning, uh, followed by a 15 to 20 minute Q&A session uh, where you'll be able to chuck all your thoughtful, intelligent questions uh, at our panelists. Uh, before we get going, I'll ask you to silence uh, your cell phones um, and also use the hashtag TribFest17 if you'll be tweeting or Facebooking. Um, so first off, a little bit more about our panelists. Um, directly to my left is Beck Bruin, um, he served on the Texas Water Development Board since 2013 and was named chairman in 2015 by Governor Greg Abbott. He also serves as the board's designated appointee to the Texas Environmental Flows Advisory Group and the Western States Water Council. Additionally, Bruin serves as an ex officio member of the Texas Farm and Ranch Lands Conservation Council. As chairman of the water board, he's overseen the rollout of a voter approved water fund and the adoption of a new state water plan. Uh, to his left is Laura Huffman. Uh, she's the director uh, for the Nature Conservancy in Texas, uh, where she establishes conservation strategy, provides policy leadership, and leads a statewide team of scientists and conservation experts to protect Texas's natural resources and landscapes. Uh, Huffman has also worked with legislators on water conservation legislation and the expansion of water protection funds in Central Texas. Uh, before joining the Conservancy, Huffman spent 20 years in city management. Uh, to her left is uh, Representative Jason Isaac, a Republican from Dripping Springs. Uh, he's represented House District 45 in the legislature since 2011. Uh, he's a member of the House Energy Resources and Urban Affairs Committees. Uh, he got a crash course in water law and politics in 2015 uh, when his constituents yes, demanded legislation to deter <laughs> A controversial, a controversial water development project in Wimberley. Uh, and he's been actively involved in water regulation uh, legislation ever since, uh, sponsoring a Senate bill earlier this year that converted the Hayes Water Agency into a water authority. Uh, and last but not least is Andy Sansom. Uh, he's executive director of the Meadows Center at Texas State University. He oversees university policy and research uh, related to freshwater resources and administers the center's freshwater environmental education program. Sansom is the founder of the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation and previously served as the execu executive director of the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and the Texas Nature Conservancy. Um, so thank you all for being here. Um, I want to start out uh, by asking, when I first saw the title of this panel, um, this might just be because I was a philosophy major, but I thought, uh, wow, this is you know pretty subjective um, because mm -hmm. not forgetting about water means different things to different people. Um, so I was hoping we could start out by uh, you guys telling me what you think it means to not forget about water. Um, Andy, do you want to start down there at the end, and we'll come up the line? Sure, Kia. Thank you. Um, you know, I'm. I have to say first of all that I'm thrilled that there are so many people in this room because that yeah. tells us that everyone hasn't forgotten about it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it seems like it's, it's really hard for us as a state to get anything profound done unless we have a crisis or a federal lawsuit, and certainly that's been true with water. Back in the 1950s when 
the state experienced what we still call a drought of record or as bad as it's ever going to be, everyone lived in a small town or they lived on a farm or a ranch or their dad worked in a feed store. And so when there was a drought, everybody knew it, it affected everyone personally. Now, today, we are an urban society and pe when the kids go in and turn on the tap or flush the toilet, they think everything's okay. And so I think long term, our biggest issue that we're going to have to face is to literally launch some sort of educational program on the level of don't mess with Texas to keep water before our citizens. And so they're educated about the daunting issue that it really presents the next generation. Okay. Representative Isaac. Great. I'll just say what it means to me to not forget about water is when you're at the Capitol every day and after the success we had in 2015 in expanding the Barton Springs Edwards Aquifer Conservation District to protect all of the groundwater in the district I serve, which was a monumental task. Um, I learned this session uh, who some of the people were that were fighting us, although I had my ideas, but when you have five bills that are filed to undo what you did in 2015 by your colleagues in the, both the House and the Senate, uh, to benefit one particular landowner in the district I serve. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that you have to remind every single day that what you're fighting for is to protect our way of life. And in the fastest growing county in the country that I serve in Hayes County, we have a lot of people that demand or, or want municipal utility districts for development. And they can go two options. They can do them legislatively or they can do the TCEQ. And I always prefer that they do them legislatively so I have some control. Um, and this will be one of the things that I asked for in the interim is to look at a possible change to a mud template that we have. Um, there's some great pictures of me at the front mic basically getting uh, kind of bombarded by the entire local district committee as well as our natural resources committee because I add some non-standard language to my muds and I do it on the floor in the house that says if you're going to develop a neighborhood in the district that I serve, you're not going to use groundwater to do it. You're going to have to bring in surface water. You're going to have to do rainwater collection. You're going to have to run purple pipe. And these are things that I put in our development agreements. And the developers really aren't too crazy about them. But for me, it's one of these things that, yes, I know it's going to lead to a higher cost of home. But at the same time, it's going to lead to sustainability and protecting that water. And so for me, it's about a fight every single day when we're in session because I know there are people that want to undo the protections that I have passed. And so it's all about defense now. Got one bill passed in 2015. Uh, that was extremely important to the people I serve, and now I just have to defend it. All right. Thanks, Kia. Uh, <laughs> so for me, the thing that we don't want to forget about water is we can't afford to get this wrong. And we've got to keep the context of what's happening in Texas in the front of our minds at all times. It's, and, and here's what that context is. Our population is growing extremely quickly. It's growing in big cities. We've over-allocated a lot of the water that we already have, so we, we don't have enough water to serve these growing populations because in some places it's over-allocated. Rivers and streams are some, is where I think some of the deepest um, cultural values are he held in Texas. You know, these are beautiful places that people uh, want, to, want to be associated with, and the extent to which those rivers and streams are healthy is absolutely determinative of whether or not we are getting it right with water. Because if we start to see those natural resources decline, that's the canary in the coal mine. And so I think that context, we have to, we have to keep that context in mind, whether or not it's wet or dry. Because we're going to be wet more often, and then we're going to be dry more often. And so I think probably this what title was chosen 
before Harvey, thinking that maybe we were forgetting, you know, because we hadn't had a drought in a while. But droughts and floods are, are here to stay. And that's not going to change the context of why we got to get it right in Texas. It just amplifies it. Well, uh, for me, I guess, what honestly, when I first saw the title, um, it stung a little bit. I mean, I guess what, what, what concerns <laughs> yeah. me is right, the fact yeah. that we are here talking about the concept that we may be forgetting about water or not thinking about water. And, I mean, obviously coming from the Texas Water Development Board and working with the people I do, you know, we're biased in, in our feeling and belief that it is the most important, you know, uh, uh, issue or topic of our time looking forward. Um, understanding that when our legislature convenes every other year, look, there's different priorities from session to session. But selfishly, we think water should be at the top of the list to discuss every single time. And unfortunately, as Dr. Sanson mentioned, it seems like um, if you look back over history, and, and it's, it's, the, it's the story of our agency as well. We were created as an agency in response to the 1950s right of record. The, you know, the state water planning process as it exists today came into be with Senate Bill 1 in 1997 in response to a drought at the time. The, the SWIFT program, Prop 6, 2013, mm -hmm. on the heels of, the, of 2011, which was the worst one-year drought in our recorded history. So the, the concern with it, with us possibly forgetting, is, is in our view at the agency, an understanding of the fact that it really doesn't matter whether we're talking about drought or flood. Or we have a state water plan that says our population is going to increase at a rate of 73% between now and the year 2070. These folks are coming to Texas whether it's raining or not whether it's drought or flood. So um, there are $63 billion worth of identified cost in the state water plan. That is the theoretical what needs to be brought online. And we need to get real about how that's going to happen, how it's going to get paid for. And so in that regard, um, again, I think we should be talking about it all the time. But um, that does not necessarily the case. I didn't come up with a panel title, okay. by the way. I don't blame you. I'm, not blaming you. I'm, um, I'm still here. <laughs> Um, Andy, you had reminded me um, that at the Texas uh, Water Development Board conference earlier this year, the head of uh, the marketing firm GSDNM um, said we need some kind of sweeping water-related slogan akin to just don't mess with Texas, which you just mentioned. Um, how useful, I mean, would that be? Uh, do you all think is that silly or is that uh, would that be a smart marketing strategy? Chairman Bruin, you might. I think I, he was fantastic. I don't know if any of y'all had a yeah. chance to, to be at that conference. Um, we were really proud of that, of how that conference really uh, turned out overall. Um, thought it was really quality uh, speakers across the board, but hearing him talk, it really made us feel really good at the agency. I mean, you know, he, he, he read the state water plan the night before he spoke. Yeah. He really, I, and he, I, we talked about it before, and he was showing me notes and, and pages, and he was so passionate about what he was reading, and it just, you know, really made us feel really proud that, that he got it right away that this is really important. You know, we can't mm -hmm. just... Um, you know, just put this in a, in a book and, and put it on the shelf every every five years. Um, so right. I, I loved everything he said, and I'm you know I'm on board for for any type of effort as far as that goes. I really uh, thought that that was one of the most valuable conferences, pre-legislative conferences that I had attended, and I applaud you for that. And he is a uh, we are so fortunate to have Roy Spence in Texas. I don't know how many of you you know sat in on the previous pan, uh, event with uh, Chief Acevedo, but at the end of it, you know, Roy presented a 30-second commercial that he did in the wake of Harvey and Irma. It's 30 seconds long. It played in the NFL game after Labor Day, 
and it featured all five living ex-presidents making an appeal for help after after mm. the, the storms. And so I don't think we can afford not to engage him to help us through this issue. The, the thing that interested me most probably out of that speech at, the, at your conference was the economic impact that Don't Mess With Texas has had. When you think about, and it's sort of, you know, it's intuitive, but when you think about it, it saved the state billions of dollars over the years because we don't have to spend all this money picking up litter. Mm -hmm. so, so you could make that same analogy with water that we can, that it actually, uh, not only it could affect public policy, that it would have an economic impact. Right. Representative Isaac, yeah. I guess no one in your district has forgotten about water problems. No, no, not, <laughs> a, not, <laughs> not, not at all. Um, <laughs> and it's great. And we are, again, fastest growing county is one of the two counties yeah. I serve. And there are so many people that are coming in that knew about this from mo moving in out of state uh, or from, out, from around the state of Texas. They knew about this issue. Uh, moving into the county. So it, it is a big issue. But I'm a marketing guy, so I'd love a, a don't mess with Texas mm -hmm. equivalent for water. So y'all tweet them out, tag, you know, <laughs> hashtag TripFest and hashtag water panel or something so I can find it because I'm a, we'll do a little crowdsource marketing right now. We're I'm a marketing guy. I love that it. idea. What's there that? Or, or find a way to pay for it for us. We'd appreciate it. Yeah, that. but I think it's important that we do market. It's, yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to my boys last week about rainwater collection and my frustration that because I've carried this bill for the last two sessions and I can't even get a hearing. Uh, in the Ways and Means Committee, and it's a permissive bill that would allow counties and other governmental entities to exempt the valuation that's increased by adding rainwater collection to your home. And I can't even get a hearing in committee. And so my frustrations are so high about this. It's a permissive bill. If we wanted to mandate that all entities and these were exempt, we'd have to do a constitutional amendment. And I can't even get a hearing, and it's absurd. Two sessions in a row now, so I'm going to continue to push for this idea because our counties, we have governments in Hayes County that come to us and say, we want to exempt the valuation of rainwater collection systems. It adds about $20,000 to the cost of a home. And so you're penalized right now in the state of Texas for adding rainwater collection to your home, which you can do in Texas. You can't in states like Colorado, at least that's my understanding, is that you can't have a rainwater collection system on a home in Colorado because the state owns the water. And to me, that is absurd. And if we get people, when we start educating people about how important it is that we conserve and protect the water in the state of Texas, then, then we, it won't be a problem getting this bill passed. Yeah. And, and we absolutely need to do that. Sure. I'd like to add just a yeah. couple of things. I mean, I do think we need a program like that, and for very specific reasons, right? <laughs> I mean, you market towards a goal, and the goal that we've got to establish is how can we get conservation to be a bigger chunk of this uh, solution set? The, the math absolutely doesn't hold up in Texas at the current rate of consumption. And I mean, that's everybody. That's people living in cities. That's agriculture. That's how we produce energy. We've got to get that nexus right. And it's going to have to include an overall reduction in the rate of consumption of that resource. And, and that, what I love about that is that gives every man, woman, and child something to do. Uh, it gives every business something to do. It gives every farmer something to do. And I think, uh, I think for so long, water's been considered a, a public sector policy, public sector problem. And I love the idea of giving people something to do. And that's what Don't Mess With Texas did for the state when it came to keeping the highways clean. Sure. Uh, Chairman Brune, um, in the wake of Hurricane Harvey, uh, the Water Development Board requested, uh, and I believe received, um, a request to the EPA uh, to expedite funds that will help you guys finance storm stormwater projects. Mm -hmm. Um, that was a relatively new kind of thing, authority you guys were given last year uh, by Congress. Um, and your, um, I guess in your press release, you really emphasize helping with both short and long-term um, projects. And I'm wondering if you can give us insight into what those uh, 
both bigger. I, I'm interested sure. about bigger projects, but maybe an example of both. Well, the uh, so the the first work day, the Monday after the storm came on shore, we we convened staff in a conference room at the office and said, hey, we got to know we got to start talking about how we can respond as an agency. We have resources, we have financing programs. What is what is you know the first question was okay, what's the shortest path? to be able to get resources to, to communities that have damage and needs to rebuild, et cetera. And uh, we thought and discovered uh, that the EPA state revolving funds that we administer, uh, that legally we have the authority to fund those types of projects. We, we went and asked the EPA for some permission to, uh, to grant us some waivers uh, in an effort to be able to expedite the process, which they, they've been willing to help, help us with. So that was that's sort of you know, one step of that discussion, but the other, and it's really been an ongoing discussion going back to this last legislative session, uh, we were actually, we had an exceptional item of request in our budget for, uh, for continuation of flood funding to our agency mm -hmm. that, that began after the emergence or the floods in 2015 that in part allowed us to do things like pay for new stream gauges and infrastructure. Mm -hmm. But there, that also created this conversation about the fact that, you know, we have a state water plan that speaks to future water infrastructure needs, when we're talking about water, drinking water supply, mm -hmm. what, why do we not or should we have a state flood plan that could help us identify specific flood infrastructure mm -hmm. that could prevent these types of events from happening? And um, fortunately, we received that appropriation. So over the course of this year, we will be producing for the first time a state flood plan. And um, that will give us a, a new roadmap um, that will show us ideally, hopefully, the types of projects that will need to be funded moving forward and we can use that same state revolving fund. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the fact that the EPA, that they changed the rules a little bit last year to allow flood control uh, without a, uh, a treatment component. So, so just straight flood control, if you will, uh, as an allowable uh, and qualifying project. And yeah. so uh, we're, you know, we're gonna tr do whatever we can as an agency to, um, to make sure that the communities like Houston and others around the state know that that's a tool that's available. And I would, I would say this, I think conservation has a super important role to play in that as well because green infrastructure can be incredibly effective at holding and pre-treating water and preventing sheet flow. And cities that have done really good job with open space and with bioswales and anything that you can do to provide a patch of ground for that rainwater to fall on and hold a little bit can be an important part of uh, designing mo what I consider to be modern infrastructure. And it will be a combination of green and gray, but my hope is that when Houston is considering how it's going to rebuild, that that is taken heavily into consideration. And the mm -hmm. benefits just stack like crazy. It's way more benefits than you get out of just a pipeline collecting water. You get, uh, get pretreatment, you get holding, it can help with your source water, it can help improve urban creeks, which have been compromised all over the place. It can improve biodiversity. There's mm -hmm. just good economics, good health benefits all over that stuff. Sure. You know, it, it, it reminds me that, that um, at pains to tell you that thanks to Chairman Bruin and his colleagues, there's a new uh, culture at the Water Development Board. Not only are they willing to think outside the box, as he has just described to you, but they're also listeners. They travel around the state, they reach out to people. It's a completely different culture than existed there before. Uh, Representative Isaac is in the middle of ground zero ground zero uh, of, of this issue. And he has been a tireless champion of protecting the water, particularly in Hayes County. The city of San Marcos right now is considering going to Chairman Brune and his colleagues and borrowing money 
to purchase a development rights of landowners in the floodplains along the Blanco and Sink Creek. And that's a, if that type of transaction is successful, it'll make a huge difference in our ability to address flooding in the future. Can you tell us a little bit more about the flood plan? I mean, you, are you guys uh, uh, accepting submissions, a timeline? Because um, I believe the participation in the first round of uh, that kind of stormwater funding was sort of low, wasn't it? I mean, there was like three projects that were uh, we did. We had uh, the city of Lubbock. We actually funded a, um, a flood control project for Lubbock. Um, Houston has one that's in, in process right now, actually, that's on a board agenda coming up a few weeks from now. Um, we, just, we just recently, as a board, took action to allow staff to go uh, solicit a contractor that's going to assist with that work. Um, so we're still in the, in the fairly early stages of, of a product that's going to come out by the end of next year is the, uh, is the, the, the goal or the, the, guess the deadline for when it's, when it's due in advance of the next legislative session. Okay. So um, we, you know, we've already, I mentioned, this really goes back to the floods in 2015 where shortly after we received an emergency appropriation uh, that was directed by the governor. And through that process, we, we really have been working with stakeholders around the state that have been interested in, in giving us guidance on how best to use that money. Mm -hmm. So we've really got a good place to start but we still really are in the early stages of, of work that's going to be going to be done. So, but there will be opportunities for stakeholder input. That's we are we are high on that at the agency. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that's always available. Um, and but um, the details of that will should be out shortly. So next year, okay. Mm -hmm. When I first read your press release that really emphasized both short and long term projects, um, the first thing that came to my mind was um, like the Ike Dyke or the Coastal Barrier, the big massive um, hurricane protection project under under discussion. It's been under discussion since Hurricane Ike. Mm -hmm. um, could you guys like finance something like that, or 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 help uh, fund a multi-billion-dollar project like that? Is that something <clears throat> the development board is capable of? Well, I'd say that yes, we could. the The question, and it's this would cover any type of financial assistance, comes down to who is uh, who's paying it back, because we, we can offer low-interest, highly subsidized financial assistance all day long. Uh, but we are talking about, uh, you know, the, the state's good credit. Um, it's important that, that we're providing this financial assistance with the assurance that these are loans that will be repaid. So who is the underlying borrower that's pledging that security to do so? Um, when you're talking about a single project that could be in the billions of dollars, there aren't that many governmental entities in the state of Texas. There are some, and there are projects that I can tell you that are moving that cost that much that, that can be funded through one entity alone. Um, so I, I think, um, I, in a case in point, uh, I was on, a, on with Governor Abbott and various agencies when he created the commission to rebuild, mm -hmm. and we're out in uh, Beaumont having a meeting, and I heard, I think, five or six different county judges all say basically the same thing, that we've been flooded multiple times the last few years. We need a large-scale regional solution for flooding on the Sabine mm -hmm. in southeast Texas. But most of these are rural counties that don't have the tax base that could support, you know, paying back a loan to fund that type of project. Mm -hmm. So what can we, could the legislature in theory create a multi-county, you know, flood control district that could pool those resources together and, and allow them to be able to do so? I mean, I think, I hope that could, that, that could be the case, but we need to start thinking about those types of solutions. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, we're not in a world I think historically, if you look back, there, there might have been a time when there was more money coming from the federal government directly to pay for things to be built in, in some sense. And um, 
I just I think we need to be more proactive as a state in, in making sure we can get out in front of these issues. Have you talked to local officials about funding, um, uh, financing an, an Ike Dyke or a Coastal Spine specifically? Have they approached uh, you and said? Uh, I, you know, I mentioned we, we're always working with various communities with ongoing water needs that are, that for the most part, are funding things on their own. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I have seen, and there are some good, uh, I think, examples of, you know, regional projects that may, that might have gone to the legislature and created a special district or, you know, a, a river, whether it's a river authority or something of the like, to be able to, uh, to do that, those types of regional projects. But um, I think we need to be having more of those conversations. I think you're, you're going to, we're all going to be treated to a lot of discussion about projects like the Ike Dyke that that will be one of the uh, most uh, intensive debates that comes out of the aftermath of this storm. But it's also important to remember that it wouldn't have done a thing for Houston mm -hmm. because the water did not come from the Gulf. It yeah. fell as rainfall in the watersheds of the Trinity and Buffalo Bio and uh, Braves Bio yeah. and, uh, and, and a huge outdoor uh, offshore infrastructure would have not contributed anything to the city in this last episode. Yeah, local officials are clearly, though, hoping that Harvey is the storm that inspires Congress to fund something, something. like that, right? And it should. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Chairman Brun, I don't mean to pick on you so much, but um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about SWIFT. Um, can you give us an update on that, um, lump that, sums, type of projects? We're always thrilled to give updates about the SWIFT program <laughs> because we feel like it's been very successful. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, on Tuesday, this next week, we'll be... Uh, funding or, or selling bonds for the third funding round of the program. The inaugural bond issuance that funded projects was in 2015. Uh, once we're through with this bond sale, we will have funded $3.8 billion wow. in the first three years. We've committed $5.6 billion over the course of the first three years because we have the ability to, to do multi-year commitments looking out into future years. To put that 5.6 into some context, <laughs> our agency is 60 years old, 1957. In that time, we've committed or provided $24.5 billion of total financial assistance. So my rough math, which isn't very good, uh, which shouldn't give you great you know, <laughs> confidence in someone that's in my position, I apologize. <laughs> but, but so 24.5, 5.6 in the last three years, 20% of, of the total we've ever done in 60 years has been done in the first three years of the SWIFT program. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, I feel like that's, um, that's some progress. Wow. And um, we feel really good about it. And there's, we, we believe we'll do $9 billion through the through the fund in the first 10 years of the program. Laura and Andy, how do you feel like SWIFT is doing for conservation efforts? So that was a big point of discussion, carving out a certain amount, requiring a certain amount would go to conservation programs. Are you guys uh, uh, happy with what you're seeing? We've been, we've been thrilled. I completely concur with Andy's assessment that this agency is, you know, clearly understands the role that conservation can play in solving state water problems. And it wasn't just in conservation in the traditional sense that we think of it. We saw uh, early on, even in the rulemaking, that their interpretation of the uh, um, ballot election was that it was a minimum of 20% of this funding would go to conservation. But there's another 10% that goes to rural counties and agriculture. And the way that the math is going to work in Texas is a lot of the water that's used to grow food right now is going to have to get more efficient because that's some of the water that cities are going to be counting on. Mm -hmm. So I think that they're doing a really nice job. I love the idea of a flood plan. I think, and I think that there are just a bunch of really creative things out there that we need to be thinking about as a state. I'll just get, and it has to do with method of finance because you know Beck called the bottom line. I mean that is the bottom line on this stuff. Mm -hmm. But there are, there are areas where we've worked with the insurance sector 
to value natural infrastructure that helps either manage storms or surge. And when you get that right as a community or a region, they lower their insurance, their flood rates in recognition of those investments. And that produces individual benefits. It's not that much different than a key rate for fire mm -hmm. insurance in a city. And so I think that there's a way to get a, a bunch of people at the table and not just have this be a conversation about whether or not the federal government is going to finally fund something. Mm -hmm. and, and that would be my hope, is that we can get as many in, you know, institutions at the table as possible. Yeah. And a lot of this is low-hanging fruit. We call it leaks and lawns. The average city in Texas probably loses 15 to 20 percent of all the water in its system just because its water mains are not properly uh, maintained. There's communities within 30 miles of here which lose 50 percent of all the water in the system. And most of the water we use is in irrigation, either for agriculture or for St. Augustine lawns. And so the Correcting that issue is not rocket science. There are ways that we can gain tremendous efficiency in our system without an inordinate amount of sacrifice on our part. And not only the water leaking out of those pipes, but you think about the water that was used in producing the energy to treat right. the water that's in those pipes that's potable water. And you know, Along those lines on conservation, I think in the oil and gas industry, uh, there's, a, there's a company in Kyle that's doing a, a test with TCEQ right now on uh, treatment of wastewater, the wastewater treatment plant to speed up the process, uh, get the water better quality. Uh, um, and and they, I find out they've been working in the oil and gas industry for years treating water that's been used in hydraulic high-pressure fracturing. And this, they're treating this water and cleaning it so it, it can be suitable for agricultural use. So we're growing food with this water which to me seems like that's a beautiful use right there. And so we're not actually using high pressure injection of this wastewater, which I believe has been concluded that that causes seismic activity when we do that. And so to me, we should, I believe we should be really getting away from this high pressure injection of wastewater and actually treat it instead because we can do it efficiently now and effectively and use that water to grow our food. And to me, that seems like a good, good conservation effort. Or drink. Or drink, yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay, Wichita Falls. You're Mr. Water now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. You know, and I. No, you, you're successful you in no, some no, areas. Please, you can have it. You're welcome. To. <laughs> yeah. Well, you get successful in some areas, and you beat some people that you weren't supposed to beat, and then you get punished a little bit. So I yeah. couldn't. You know, the, the rainwater collection bill can't even get a hearing. Another one for Buda Aquifer Storage and Recovery trying to do that where when there's this excess amount of water, they're actually wanting to treat water and inject it down into aquifers here in Central Texas. Um, you know, people, I've got my, a little target on my back now just because of some of the success I've had serving the people that I do serve, but other people really didn't like it too much, so, but I'll take it. You want to hear more about I get that? other people to carry my bills for me, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which I don't mind. <laughs> Um, I want to just ask, I want you to elaborate on that, but um, I'm obsessed about the flood plan. This is the first time I'm hearing about it, I guess. Um, do you guys have an idea of how you would rank those projects yet? or? Uh, again, I, the details, we're still working out. Um, okay. I, I don't, you know, with the SWIFT, there was, the legislature actually gave us a directed prioritization criteria. Okay. This, really, we were given more of a, of a blank slate to begin with here, and so I think a, a big part of, you know, the work I'm hopeful will be to give us, you know, more detail or more direction on what we should be looking at moving forward. That this shouldn't just be a one-time, you know, and when we're done. I mean, the, the, the real benefit of, of the state water plan, or a major benefit of it, is the fact that it's adaptive and that it's, you know, we produce a new one on a rolling five-year cycle. 
So every five years, we have a fresh look 50 years out of what we're up against. And, um, but the, we, you know, we're, the details are still to be worked out. Okay. You're thinking it would be an every five years sort of thing, though, potentially? Is that what you're uh, That, you know, ultimately that would, we need some money to be able to do that. You mm -hmm. know, the, the, the state water plan process also works because the legislature, fortunately, has been willing to, to provide those ongoing appropriations. And, you know, um, we'll, we'll just have to see how that works out in the future. Okay. Talk more about that. Um, Representative Isaac, you've mentioned the target on your back, um, playing defense, um, sort of whack-a-mole kind of um, effort at the, uh, the Capitol. Um, but other than defense, I mean, do you have a specific plan? Like, can you run through your specific ideas? You've, you've already detailed some of them, but yeah. do you have a plan about how to manage the massive growth in your district? No, and, absolutely. Well, the rainwater yeah. is big. Uh, well, aquifer storage and recovery, I believe, is part of the solution that's been promoted, and we've been successful in getting some bills passed in that, in that regards. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, dealing with wastewater, a discharge, that's a big issue. There's a proposed wastewater discharge plant. Uh, in Dripping Springs in the community where my family and I live, and they're, they're getting a discharge permit to discharge into the Onion Creek. And even though the city has said we'll never discharge into the creek, their options are to get a discharge permit or a storage permit. Mm -hmm. And we definitely don't want storage because we've seen in floods, flood situations where massive rain, where these storage of wastewater that's not necessarily treated or treated at a high quality flows out into our water table. Um, and, and that's not a good solution, but having an expedited process for doing land application. Mm -hmm. It was uh, one of the municipal utility districts that I passed this last legislative session in Driftwood. I said, again, no groundwater for development. But I knew there was an opportunity where they could actually bring in purple pipe and some of this treated wastewater and use it for irrigation uh, on the lands there. And so that's why I did that. I created an incentive for the developer to be like, all right, well, I've got to get water from somewhere if we want to have grass and, and have this development look nice. And I'm like, yeah, you do. And you're going to go to Dripping Springs and use their wastewater in a land application environment to treat the wastewater. And so... We've, we've got to find an expedited process to get to this. It's called TLAP. It's a land application uh, permit that does so without having a contested case. Uh, the neighborhood that I live in, in, in the Dripping Springs area, went through this whole contested case, just brutal, long, multi-year fi fight, and it cost the taxpayers that I'm paying right now over a million dollars in legal fees. And uh, it's interesting because when I was filing some of these, this legislation that I'm working on, someone testified before the Environmental Regulation Committee and says, well, that's a different case because your wastewater plant is discharging into a creek that sometimes doesn't flow. That's the quote. I've watched the video repeatedly. Discharging into a creek that sometimes doesn't flow. About 27 minutes later, I was able to ask a question to this gentleman again. I said, can you tell me how many times we've discharged into this creek that sometimes doesn't flow? And he says, oh, well, you never have. And I'm like, oh, so you lied 27 minutes ago. I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. It was on tape. You can go watch it for yourself if you'd like. I'll point you in the right direction. But it was frustrating. And so because we do land application in the neighborhood I live in, and we need more of that, and that's part of the solution. We've got to be able to get to that without having this contested case and people paying uh, exorbitant legal fees and driving up the cost of living. Another attractive supply option is the desalination of brackish groundwater. Texas has a vast amount of brackish groundwater, which is far less saline than water from the Gulf of Mexico, and it's much closer to the customers. Therefore, the energy costs of both treating it and moving it are far, far less than desalinating Gulf seawater. And so there's plants in El Paso that are very successful, a plant going up outside of San Antonio. And so that's a supply option that I think is, a, is very potentially very attractive. 
I'd like to raise an issue about quality, one that we haven't touched on quite yet, and that is a couple of things. One, you all know almost 95% of Texas is privately owned. So when we talk about protecting the quality of water that's in our rivers and aquifers today, we are absolutely talking about working with private landowners. And I think we've been talking a lot about an urban context up here today, but there is, a, there is absolutely a rural context to this conversation too. And making sure that rivers are protected is gonna be a partnership with private landowners. I think that's a really important point for us. There, but there is also an urban way of attacking that issue in San Antonio and Austin and Travis County and Hayes County and everybody in between has over the past 15 to 20 years at various times voters have actually authorized protection of the Edwards aquifer through either the purchase of land outright or the purchase of conservation easements mm -hmm. and while the communities don't necessarily see that as a combined body of work I do and when you add it all up this region has invested almost one billion dollars in voter authorized expenditures to protect that Ed Edwards Aquifer through a conservation strategy. Let's and put so, that in context. Let's do. Travis, Bear, San Antonio, Austin, and Hayes County have spent more money protecting the landscape in their watersheds and recharge areas than the entire state and federal government combined over the last 15 years. Real quick, we talk about protection. I will say one of the things that concerns me most about Hurricane Harvey and the flooding that we're seeing is the thousands of vehicles that were left underwater and the mm -hmm. contamination. How, and that's why I have already started doing some work and trying to research, are we going to get reports on the EPA Superfund sites that were contaminated? I believe there were 17 maybe yeah. sites that were flooded. Uh, how is that going to impact our drinking water? All the, the thousands of vehicles, what were they leaking that were out there? And it leads me to believe that we need to do a better job of diversifying our transportation portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do, we really we need, need to. Electric, I, and I don't know what the impacts are of an electric vehicle being submerged in water and if that contaminates the water, but I'm going to try to find out. I know natural gas and propane, none of those vehicles leaked. None of those stations were impacted by the floods or the hurricane. Um, and so it, it, that's just one of the things that concerns me is the impact of the water that we're going to see from the hurricane because of the contamination. Representative Isaac, you said you had requested a kind of interim um, charge. Um, do you, I guess, worry that it'll be very Harvey-centric and that water supply issues that are more relevant to your district will be kind of forgotten about? Or uh, it, it, it is a big concern. And that's yeah. why I'll remain a pit bull in protecting our <laughs> groundwater in, in Hayes County and uh, the constituents that I serve will have my back and help me. Okay. Uh, tremendously, which is great. And fortunately, we're close to the capital, yeah. geographically, serving in a, an area that's just south and west of here. So we do have a big voice, and, and mm -hmm. sometimes we're, we're loud. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm going to ask one more question before we uh, take audience questions. There will be a microphone <coughs> passed around. Um, you guys hit on land trust. Um, mm -hmm. There was a bill last session um, by Representative Larson, um, HB 2943, um, that Governor Abbott vetoed. Um, a lot of you testified in favor of that bill, which uh, would have expanded the Water Development Board's authority um, to help local entities buy land for conservation efforts. Um, it was overwhelmingly supported. Andy, you had um, mentioned it when we talked um, ahead of this panel. Um, and what piqued my interest about it is you pointed out to me that uh, land conservation could work well in, in the Houston area as a way to prevent developers from paving over every last inch of, of prairie land. And I just wonder if you guys could talk about your feelings about that bill being vetoed and if you're going to push for something like that um, again next session. Well, it's unfortunate, you know, that it was vetoed and I hope it'll come up again. Uh, when, it, when Representative Larson 
brought the bill up. He said that it was the most important piece of legislation that he had worked on in his time in the legislature. As Laura said, 95% of the land in Texas is privately owned. And we can't buy enough of it to protect it. Now, don't get me wrong. When they push me in the crematorium, I'll still be pushing to buy another park or a wildlife area. <laughs> but you can't buy enough of it to, to save it. You've got to keep private landowners on the landscape and doing the right thing. And that's really what this legislation was all about. I loved it, obviously, because it's the kind of work that we believe so deeply in. And we've proven all sorts of benefits from investing in land as a mechanism to protect water. You can still do that locally. I do want to say the tool didn't, the opportunity didn't come and go because the legislation didn't pass. Cities can still do it. Counties can still make these investments. And I do think that Houston, I think every major city needs to be thinking about how it's mm -hmm. going to protect its source water, whatever that source water is. Because mm -hmm. one of the things that happens when cities double in size is you get a lot more impervious cover. Yeah. And that means that you're going to get pollutants from cars and whatever else is out there, lawns, fertilizers, running into those water supplies. So I think it's something, it's so cost effective. Mm -hmm. um, and it, and uh, to be honest, it's popular. The, the passage of the uh, ballot initiatives in San Antonio continues to go up over the last 10 years. It's getting more popular. In fact, someone had said to us a few, a few uh, sessions ago, and people in San Antonio are done with this. They feel like you can check the box. The Edwards Aquifer is taken care of, and you know it's time to invest in downtown trolleys or something like that. So we shot a poll, and uh, Monty said no such thing. Eighty percent of San Antonians are very interested in protecting the Edwards Aquifer and understand that that work is ongoing. I think the, I think the flooding that we that has been experienced in the Houston area will help this cause because it's it's not just about protecting groundwater. It's about mitigating flooding. And I think what, what's important to understand is that we're in a state where things like county zoning are not going to happen. And so at least I do not believe they will. And so we use the marketplace to protect those important landscapes by, by essentially buying people's development rights. I think one of the challenges that we've seen in, in Hayes County in particular is that the, our, our county elected officials have expressed some concern to me about other municipalities outside of their jurisdictional boundaries buying land. And so the city of Austin has bought a lot of land in Hayes County. And when that happens, our county officials don't find out. Our ESDs don't find out. Our school districts don't find out. But all of a sudden, you have four or 5,000 acres of land or more that ought immediately come off the tax rolls. And so that increases the burdens of everyone else. I've got a spreadsheet from our central appraisal district in Hayes County showing all of the exemptions on the property. It is absurd, and I'm trying to figure out a way to put it into a heat map so that we can show people all the different exemptions and those of us that are paying full property tax compared to those of us that aren't. Um, and it is an impact. It is a concern that, that we have. And so I filed, I filed bills to try to get at least some sort of notice so if the city of Austin is going to go outside of their jurisdictional boundaries and buy land in Hayes County, at least notify our local government so that we can prepare and plan for that. Okay. We could clearly keep going, but uh, we'll take yeah, we have not forgotten questions about water. Uh, from the audience now. Thanks. Ms. Hubman, you mentioned earlier that our current consumption is unsustainable. If we continue at the rate that we're at now with our population and with our, with our consumption, at what point does that come to a head? Oh, I think it. I, I think right now, 
if you look at the allocation of the rivers and streams in Texas, it, you could say that some of the rivers and streams in Texas would run dry if people mm -hmm. currently exercise their legal right to withdraw. So the math is already upside down. We just haven't run, we haven't had a day when everybody did what they legally have the right to do. And, and I want to emphasize, one of the most important things about a water discussion is not turning it into a circular firing squad. We've seen how that works out in the western part of the United States, and it's just not that great. Um, so when we have this conversation, we have to recognize that you got to get it real right in three ways, energy and industry, growing cities, and agriculture. And, and what I don't think works well, and there's just a ton of evidence for this one, is a conversation that attempts to blame one sector or another. So when I talk about conservation, we're really thinking deeply about what does that mean in agriculture? What is, it's not a question of whether or not we're going to grow food. How are we going to grow, grow food? Where are we going to grow food? And what are we going to grow? And, and those solutions don't look exactly like what we need to be doing in cities, where we need to be looking at individual consumption and getting that as, as far down as we can. And I think in the energy sector, I, I think there is a lot of interesting technology and reuse um, that is uh, being discussed and underway. The use of brackish water and fracking, you didn't hear about that six or seven years ago, and now you hear a lot about the use of brackish water, which is great because sometimes that water has too much salt to be... Um, for, for farmers to be able to use it because it would kill crops. So I think technology also plays a little bit of a solution in this. Next question. Uh, I, I just wanted to go back to uh, Colorado. Uh, as of last year, they do allow rainwater catchment for all homes. Thank owners. you for the correction. I appreciate and, that very much. That's it good. was always governed under uh, groundwater rights. So if you had well permitting, you were also able to collect groundwater based on that, right? And that brings me to a point in Texas in that the, the, the law base in which uh, Texas water law sits has this division, of course, the artificial division between groundwater and surface water, and it always plays out as a problem. How do we address that? When do we fix the law to actually match physical reality? <laughs> uh, so you bring up more failures of mine. <laughs> and this was a fun bill I filed this session to basically create a super groundwater district based on the actual groundwater itself rather than this patchwork or, you know, patchwork of districts that we have now because the Barton Springs Edwards Aquifer Conservation District and the Hayes Trina Groundwater Conservation District and the Blanco Pedernales Groundwater all manage and, and oversee and protect the same water. And so what has come out of that is they flipped out because they're government and they lose some power uh, if my bill were to pass and that, you know, government doesn't like to give up power. But what it did is it forced them to the table and so I'm really happy the progress that they're making getting all of their rules on standards. So they're basically going to have very similar rules across all the districts so that our groundwater will have the same protection here, at least in the priority groundwater management area in Central Texas. But we actually do need to manage the water by the water itself, not man-made geopolitical boundaries. And so uh, I will keep fighting for that, but my efforts, although the legislation didn't pass, sometimes you don't need it to. Uh, and so I'm really happy to report that, and I love seeing the people from the different districts say, hey, we, we had a meeting last week, and we're all adopting the same rules. And so I'm like, that's great. I'm glad to hear it. It's you good, know, good the news. biggest public policy issue we have is a disconnect between the way we manage surface water and groundwater. And it's, if talk about unsustainable. Mm -hmm. And we've got to find a way to manage it as if it were the same substance. But I have to tell you that private landowners do have a stake. Imagine a family that's been living on a ranch, say, in comfort, that has a spring on it where they have been depending on that spring for their livestock, for their recreation, for their water supply for five or six generations, 
and the actions of their neighbor drives the spring up. So you can't say that private landowners don't have an interest in the water under their property. So we've got to find a way to respect the, the rights and the interests of those landowners, but at the same time connect the management of the resources as they should be. I want to get to this gentleman who's mm -hmm. had his hand up. There you go. Yeah. Um, there seems to be so many agencies that make water policy in the state. And so do you see that as a problem? I'm thinking that there's fractured water policy across the state. Um, is it a problem? And if you think so, what can we do about that? Chairman Brick. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, to be clear, as a as you know, as appointed official, I'm not able to lobby on behalf of my respective agency before the legislature. But whenever Representative Isaac calls and asks for any ideas, I'm very happy to give them. Um, and I, you know, generally speaking, I think um, I don't think there's there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, we work really well with TCEQ, for example. They they do their thing, their regulatory side, and we do our resource side, and. When, when they identify issues with a, you know, with a water system, for example, that might require them to be put under enforcement, well, that's probably going to take some money to fix, and then we can come in and help on that side of, of, of that issue. So uh, I, I think we, we work pretty well together. Um, uh, that's, you know, I, I and I need to speak up for my former colleagues and say that Texas Parks and Wildlife is a part of that triad. I, oh, certainly. You bet. And those agencies for probably now almost 30 years have worked in consensus to create water planning for the state. So at the state level, I'd say we're pretty advanced uh, based on the experience of other states across the United States. De definitely, thanks for bringing in parks. I, I would say, it, I think it's our role to provide that input, but ultimately the policy is made in the Capitol and as agency, agencies were responsible for serving at the will of the legislature in that regard. But overall, I, I feel like in, in Texas, we do a really good job. Do we have time for one more? Or? Are you over? Yeah, we'll take one more. We're a little bit over time, but. Uh, you said that people are coming to Texas regardless of flood, fire, or drought. And I don't really know if that's true, but it just seems like it might be easier to have us build new homes in areas of Texas where there already is water rather than build homes out in dry places where a few people can get very rich bringing them water. Well, that's. That's a fair statement. Um, they, I, but I mean, you hear it said all the time, Texas does not have a water supply problem. We have a water, the, the issue is where the water exists. Um, we, there, we have a lot, we're coming up with more creative ways to be able to move that water around. But if, if you found a way to steer people exactly where the, ideally they might should go, then um, you put a patent on that and I'll come work for you. And I, I, I agree with that statement. That's why with the municipal utility districts that I create in the district I serve, no groundwater for development. You've got to bring in surface water. You've got to do rainwater collection. You've got to find another way, but you're not going to use the groundwater. I wish you were my rat. <laughs> Hopefully I can get the mud template changed where we can do that in more areas. Okay, this is the last session of the day. There's a reception um, out in the courtyard. Give our panel a hand. Thank you. 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 Thank you.